0: What's up guys, welcome back to the show. CoinKite and River are two awesome Bitcoin companies which support this podcast. If you'd like to hear more about them, keep listening. If not, skip ahead 60 seconds. CoinKite offers the products you need to securely store and use your Bitcoin. If you don't self-custody your Bitcoin, you don't have Bitcoin, and it's only a matter of time before you become a cautionary tale. To avoid that fate, it's imperative that you take custody now and take advantage of the unique form of financial freedom which Bitcoin provides. If you've already sorted yourself out, Christmas is a perfect time of year to give the gift of Bitcoin to Bitcoiners and pre-coiners alike. Give physical Bitcoin with the SATs card, get someone's self-custody journey started with the cold card, or put the newly released Block Clock Micro on your own Christmas list. As far as I'm concerned, the CoinKite store is a one-stop shop for all your gifting needs, with all sorts of quality gear to accompany you and your loved ones down the rabbit hole this holiday season and into the new year. To check it out, visit CoinKite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. let it. There we go. We're being live streamed. Tyler, right how you doing? Ben? Uh looking forward to having this conversation. Thanks for doing it.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. I've been, uh, you know, somewhere in between excited and nervous about this for a couple of weeks now, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to it as
0: well. Yeah, well, you you sent me, um, you know, I, I put out one of my tweets that I I often do, and you you hit me up and saying you had a few interesting topics that you'd be interested in exploring, and among the, I mean, they were very broad. You had like, you know, the two Aspen monetary bu- uh, bubbles and uh hunter thompson and backcountry snowboarding and proof of work and energy and environmentalism and all that kind of stuff so basically i mean the floor is yours where do you want to get this thing kicked off i mean you're more than um (laughs) you can do an intro of yourself if you like but otherwise just hit me with the the most interesting thing you want to get started with
1: yeah um i guess maybe just in the interest of building momentum let's start with an intro um So, my name is Tyler Lindsay. I uh, live just outside of Aspen, Colorado, which is uh, where I was born and raised. And, um, you know, I like to joke that Aspen is arguably the most fiat pilled uh, town on the planet and community that a person could hope to um, find themselves in. And, um, you know, I'm an increasingly avid Bitcoiner who really feels that, um, you know, Bitcoin offers our best hope for fixing most of the problems that that face us as a civilization. And, um, you know, because of that, that I think is why I'm down for sort of like taking the risk and putting my face and name out there as somebody who really believes in this and wants to, um, wants to use this tool to, you know, help the people around me and also just kind of help, help the world at large.
0: Makes sense to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, why don't we start with, uh, and you can, you, obviously you can share or not share whatever you like, but are you involved in the, you know, the, the backcountry or the skiing scene in Aspen? Is that kind of what you do for work?
1: Yeah, I am. So, um, I work for the Aspen skiing company, which is, uh, the resort operator for the four ski areas, uh, here in Aspen and Snowmass. Um, and I work in. A variety of fun and interesting event and marketing kind of project based work. Cool. And um prior to that, I spent about 10 years coaching um kind of high-level freestyle snowboarding and um, you know, helping kids to sorry, I just need to turn off my, my ringer. Sure. Um apologies for that. Uh so I spent about 10 years coaching uh, you know, pretty high-level freestyle snowboarding. In um, you know, kids with ambitions to compete in the Olympics or in um, the X Games or just sort of like be professional athletes in that realm, and uh, you know, I think in concert with a lot of my no, I guess just as part of my general stance of deep inquiry in the world, uh, what I really found was that like the risk reward uh, of pursuing high-level competitive freestyle snowboarding didn't add up and so you know sort of like withdrew from that and you know went through a minor identity crisis because I was definitely Tyler the snowboard coach uh, for a long time and then you know had these really beautiful long-term mentoring relationships with a lot of these young kids and you know had to come to terms with like those relationships are going to be different going forward and um you know, figure out what my next uh, thing would be. And, uh, you know, so I like did a lot of world traveling. I went to, you know, travel through Indonesia, had a pretty wild adventure in Africa um, and came back home and, uh, you know, sort of like met my wife and continued on the through line of my life, which is uh, defined by a large extent to uh, mountain biking, snowboarding, access to nature, um, a understanding of sort of like the way nature's cycles work and how they're different than the cycles and frequencies that apply to people, especially mm-hmm. in the fiat world. And, and, uh, you know, eight, nine years later, here I am.
0: Wow. Well, I got a few questions of course, but what, what was the, uh, adventure in Africa out of curiosity?
1: Oh, so, um, you know, I, uh, I had, um, sold a house that I owned with a former partner had a, uh, you know, the most money I'd, I'd ever had at that point in the world, this was sort of like, uh, what it would have been like eight Oh eight Oh nine kind of timeframe. So I had been fortunate to sort of like sell this property without, uh, getting beaten down too badly by the financial crisis and the loss in, uh, the value of that, of that property. Mm-hmm. And I found myself with a, um, a check for hundred thousand dollars in my pocket, and no, you know, plan for the coming several months. And so, a friend and I that I coach snowboarding with uh, went surfing in Indonesia for three months. Uh, while we were there, I met a um, friend of his and his sisters who uh, was a survivor of the Rwandan genocide, and uh, went a couple months later with her to rwanda and uganda both to sort of like help ghost write her story and also she was um adopting a cousin of hers and bringing her back to bali to um you know give her a different life Mm. and uh you know as it turned out sort of like as, as these things do things got kind of complicated between me and her and um i ended up not sort of like bringing that project to fruition but you know, it was really instructive for me in terms of like, how, um, how easy it is to devalue um,
0: other humans. You mean, through the lens of her experiences in in Rwanda at that time?
1: Yeah, and not even just at that time, you know, also, just the experience of uh, being there, you know, whatever it was, uh, 15 years later, after the sort of like, horrendous trauma of that genocide um mm. there were still enormous problems in the way that people related to each other and exploited each other and um you know were willing to sort of like dehumanize other people
0: what would you say would you know through your observations what did you think were the the reasons the causes the motivations the justifications that you observed at at that particular place I'm sure there's um, consistencies across, you know, wherever that occurs, generally speaking, but just curious what you observed.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was just related to like um social contagion and the normalizing of, of behaviors that, you know, if you examined them outside of that social context, they would be totally indefensible. But within it, um, they're really pretty normalized and acceptable. Mm. Uh and sort of like the importance of intentionally assembling your cultural set such that you can relate to the world in a more truthful or honest way yeah. or a less violent and destructive way.
0: Yeah, that is such a interesting point, you know, like intentionally constructing your perspective and your worldview based off of certain presumably fundamental, if not like eternal or transcendent principles, so that it can do two things. What One, not only allow you to not be victim or, or not uh, be pulled along in certain cultural manias or cult, you know those sorts of things, but sufficient that you're still able to operate in that culture, that you can have one foot in so that you can maneuver through it, so that you can provide for yourself, so that you can have impact, so that you can communicate with people who are more like taken away by it um Mm -hmm. and that really is um well it's an imperative in my opinion but it's certainly not not easy as you know especially if you don't have any guidance or mentorship or anyone to kind of uh inculcate in you the importance of doing that you know because we are cultural creatures and if you don't have that if you don't have a perspective that the onus or the responsibility is on you to cultivate your own perspective and to do so as truthfully as possible then you're subject to your families and your religions and your towns and your countries and your cultures and your races and your whatever other, all that conditioning taken together. And I think it's that that can be easily become a toxic soup, basically, where you get these crazy instances where it just, it it totally gets out of control and it's permitted to get out of control because all of those forces conspire to normalize that behavior. And then, you know, it's only in hindsight, you look back and be like, what the fuck happened were we drunk were we you know were we were we intoxicated off an ideology and the answer is likely yes and much more but you know that's so important to be in charge of your perspective basically
1: totally yeah and and, you know i the so i agree with everything you just said the only um the only edit i might make is like it's not just that those perspectives are are permitted it's that they're actively uh promoted
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. why why like intentionally for that end or you just mean like because a lot of perspectives are promoted right a a religious perspective is promoted a national identity is promoted but oftentimes i would say that it's not evident that those can lead to the more disastrous or tragic outcomes by virtue of the division and the dehumanization and all the other things that they might cause unintentionally but are you saying that they were they were inculcated intentionally you know for this sort of an outcome to
1: i mean one would think so right like the um You know, in the case of the Rwandan genocide, like they used the medium of radio,
0: you know, over the
1: course of uh, probably years to sort of like ramp up the sense of dehumanization, ramp up the sense of um, victimization by the minority group of the majority group uh, over a long period of time. And, And this sort of like intentional promotion of division or blame or um you know uh identification of fault uh you know it 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 served the people in power at that moment to a great degree Mm. as it often does yeah totally i mean you know we we Uh, have seen more recently the way that these manias or frenzies can apply to uh, our own sort of like culture or civilization pretty effectively also.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, so many of us were decrying that during the last two years. When you see, you know, front page of the newspaper, I think it was the Toronto Star in Canada. It was like basically, you know, what should be done about the unvaccinated? And the, the, the insinuation was like something, jail, you know. Pretty close to extermination, right? Maybe not that explicitly. But again, this is what so many people were cautioning is that like it's the same mechanics. It's in a different context. It's at a different stage in its its development, let's say. But the the mechanics of thinking about people in that way and thinking that they need to be handled in a certain way or discarded in a certain way or or removed like those sort of things, they, it was a difference in degree, not in kind. And that's what so many people were attempting to ring the alarm bell on. And of you know, of course the defining characteristic of these mass movements of these manias is that they're impossible to penetrate. Basically you you, like, at least with logic and reason and appeals to those things, it seems like they're impenetrable that way, which is what makes them so scary, which is why those alarm bells are so important because once they get going, what can stop them other than brute force, other than pure power, other than pure resistance. I mean, really like, what can stop a mania when it's taken hold? Yeah,
1: I, you know, um, I obviously don't know what can stop it other than, um, you know, so so short of sort of like a, uh, a violent uprising or, you know, forceful uh, physical resistance to this thing. I, I guess the only other thing would be that um, it's so incompatible with the laws of nature that uh, nature provides that that check or that counter or that Um
0: Yeah. But at, I don't know at, this, at, at what cost, I guess, it's the question, you know, when does nature course sense. correct, you know, and it's, I guess history would show that a lot of, you know, a lot of tragedy has to happen before nature finds that corrective, you know, balance. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I don't, you know, it, it's, um, I guess the other, the other piece would be just people, um, quietly in a one-to-one way, uh, finding space to express themselves honestly, and through that, giving space to others to um, engage in that inquiry.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: and so like social media is not the way to do it, obviously, right? Like (laughs) you can't sort of like um, pummel people with walls of text on Facebook about, you know, why they're wrong uh, and expect that to sort of like be persuasive or effective. Yeah. but um, you know I, I think there's still actually a lot of space where one-to-one conversation and kind of the metadata micro expressions and tone and uh, body language etc uh, can buttress that message in a way that uh, helps it sneak through and and you know at first gradually then suddenly the the truth uh, pushes itself out there
0: hmm yeah I, I'm inclined to agree that certainly the the one-on-one in person, has more nuance and uh, is less prone to polarization. And, you you know, usually there's a relationship there and you can kind of use that to try to at least have a discourse, you know, because any time people feel like you're trying to persuade them, the walls go up immediately. So the I think the proper orientation is like, let's have a conversation where we try to, you know, find out greater truth or be more rational, or let's apply an agreed upon logic to a given situation. But, you know, as the last two years, kind of revealed, even that uh, didn't seem sufficient to penetrate many people's thinking. And even now, you know, in light of several revelations that seem to be emerging, um, that still seems to be the case. And so it, it is, you know, I'm sure someone's writing a book about it or already have, but looking back on the last two years, because one of the interesting things about the last two years was there were a lot of people that previously, you know, were, let's just broad brushstrokes, say like normies you know, everything is kind of working as it should, who now have been, you know, uh, red pilled, if not yet orange pilled, and they, they, they're kind of waking up to seeing how, well, the corruption in the places where it exists, and the results of that corruption and the polarization and the, uh, the dishonesty and the distrust in mainstream institutions and that kind of stuff, like a lot of those people have emerged. And it would be interesting to, you know, to study or to see what was it? that made those like that change occur. I doubt for most of them it was direct persuasion, like direct conversation. Right. I I would say it was like an accumulation of exposure to to things, right? To I don't know if the window that social media allows you to see different places and parts of the world or like, you know, something that just broke the trust, you know, pull, you know, remove right. the veil for a moment and cause those people to question. And then that, and that for many of them I would assume it just kind of led You know, down the rabbit hole again, if not the the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but the 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 red pill rabbit hole. And so, um, that's what's really interesting. And back to your point about, or and my question, like, what what's to be done about it once it gets going? I think you're right. Is like, is having that space where you can, you know, you can have those conversations and you can have open dialogue. But oftentimes, that's not even possible, whether it's because you're being censored on social media, or whether because you know you're wrapped up in an environment where things are just chaotic already and that that's just not a powerful enough approach. But I would say one, you know, that is is an ultimate fallback that we should all attempt to have available to us. If we seek to retain any degree of freedom is the capacity to say no, right. Is to say no to anyone who's going to censor you, anyone who's going to cut you off from your finances now. And that's a highly being able to say no is a privilege, obviously, you know, not to say that you, you don't cultivate it yourself, but you know, let's say someone in the R- R- Rwandan genocide, like saying no for them would have been, well, hopping a flight or a whatever out of the country and getting set up somewhere else. And, you know, the ability, the ability to leave that situation to say no to the persecution that was happening there. Well, that wasn't an option for most of them, I presume, you know? And so yeah, some cases, and sometimes you're just wrapped up in a, you find yourself wrapped up in a situation that perhaps you didn't see soon enough to do something about or perhaps you didn't have the the means to do something about and i mean that's why it's so tragic because so many innocent people get get swept up in these wherever these manias these wherever they occur you know and to whatever degree they occur
1: right and and you know the um the larger the scale of it the less agency you have to
0: Mm. withdraw from it yeah exactly for sure and it it's uh, I, the last two years again. I mean, people will point out things like the Rwandan genocide or what happened in you know Germany at the as the Nazis were coming up, or any any of these parallels. And again, they'll they'll mistake a, a difference in degree for a difference in kind. I think you know that's one of the things that often happens, which is why so many fail to see. You know the the real tragedies that occurred over the last two years, whether it was you know elderly dying alone, not being able to see family, not being able to, you know, get the medical care or diagnostics that you needed, being forced out of your job, out of your employment, and therefore into substance abuse, therefore into poverty, therefore and like that is, you know, tragic as well on a you know different degree or different level, but people fail to see that it's 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 that way of thinking, it's that narrow you know mass thinking that has created these circumstances that now so many people are subject to and and subject to in such a inescapable way for most people as we were just saying and and what do you do but it's almost too late to to say no at that point and you just got to try to ride it out or be or be victim to it which many were obviously and and that's why it's so tragic
1: yeah i mean i you know as you were saying that i was reflecting on sort of the um, local experience of the pandemic. So we have a, um, you know, real cultural premium placed on physical fitness and, uh, you know, exposure to nature and fresh air and vitamin D. And, um, you know, because of that sort of like overall pretty healthy, um, physical community that we have here, you know, we had very, very few deaths from COVID. Um, I think I can think of three and, uh, you know, at least two out of the three were people that had, uh, really pretty severe underlying health problems born of call it decade, you know, multiple decades of just like partying and, um, and this kind of stuff. Uh, and at the same time, we have had, you know, a dozen suicides, 10 drug overdoses, Uh, um, you know, plenty of just sort of like people feeling driven out and leaving um and sort of like yeah you know if obviously those those three deaths from covid are tragic but uh the the question of like which is a worse one or which one should be mourned more deeply or what you know um which one should have more like cultural or um even legal interventions to prevent it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know I, i think like uh the you know nobody locked down for months on end to prevent suicide and yet we've had four times as many suicides as deaths from COVID
0: yeah I think this is why this this whole idea of this I I think it was Matthias Desmet he popularized I guess the term of this mass formation psychosis why it kind of and and you know great that 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 emerged as something that people were considering during this time, even if not, you know, too many in the mainstream, but the mainstream is no longer the mainstream, you know, that, that's right. another interesting realization during this time, it's like, there's still an air of authority around the name CN, I suppose, but if you sure. look at the numbers all the attention is on alternative media. You know, you might, with, with perhaps Tucker Carlson being an exception, but he's basically alternative media at this point. I mean, he's, he's a counter-narrative signal, whatever you think of him. He, he does massive numbers as far as mainstream media sources are concerned. I mean, he blows everyone else out of the water, but he's also the only voice that is basically counter the mainstream narrative. Um, but aside from that, I mean, everyone's attention is going to these other sources where they can get, for lack of a better term, pure signal right? Like actual truth, actual attempts at, if not truth, attempts at discerning it, honestly, with humility, you know, uh, and not clear and overt propaganda being blasted out and trying to to form opinion, basically. And so, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's another benefit.
1: So I, I, I apologize for interrupting. I, so I agree, but, um, you know, I certainly have plenty of peers and friends who uh, rather than seeking out alternative or counter narrative voices, uh, instead they uh, just sort of escape into. Um, well, I only watch snowboard clips now. You know, I don't do uh, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's too difficult to sort of like stand uh, seemingly alone in opposition to some of this stuff, and so instead I rely on like escapism or, you mm-hmm. know something like this and there's plenty I mean, of that
0: going on also sure is it so bad i mean is it really escapism or is it saying like what's what's the the benefit of me you know entering the the arguments that are happening at the coffee houses the you know the bars the whatever uh, around political issues like why don't i just work on my craft and do what brings me joy and why do i need to get in so many of these you know fights because obviously again over the last two years tons of family fights, friend fights. I mean, that division in in ideology and philosophy has become so clear. And I think it's, you know, there's, we talk about you know, the, the negative externalities of these things. And you might call it positive at the end of the day, because you really get to see where people stand. And then it's up to you to mediate that relationship, how you think best. And so perhaps that's just another way that truth has kind of bubbled up, but it still has caused a lot of uh, grief, I would say, in families and between friends and stuff like that. So maybe it's best to focus on your craft and tune everything else out.
1: Maybe I mean, you know, um, as long as you're not sort of like retreating from truth seeking because the truth that you find are unpleasant.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, Do you think that's, you know, and- that's kind of what's going on, at least with you, the peers you've observed?
1: A little bit, yeah. And then you know, I guess the other piece is just sort of like um seeing folks with real potential for um insight uh foregoing the opportunity to have those insights you know and and sort of like um i I think there's there's something a little bit tragic about that even if it is understandable and appreciable
0: yeah well i guess going back to our our former conversation one or you know talking about how these get going one of the risks is that if you completely remove yourself from concerns about the discourse broadly speaking which hopefully has something to do with truth in most places then perhaps you've abdicated your responsibility for however the you know the trajectory of of things in the social realm are going right like if you just completely uh unplug from it all but remain within it i mean unplugging and removing yourself is one thing right like moving to the jungle and being like look i don't give a fuck about any of this crazy shit that's happening i just want to be left alone or up on the mountain or whatever fair enough but if you're going to stay within a you know a social matrix let's say then uh you know maybe there is some culpability for how things go wrong or if things go out get out of control to those you know by those people who have withdrawn their opinion and not you know, not shared it, not participated in that open dialogue. Maybe it's tricky, you Mm -hmm. know, because I can, I I mean, I
1: guess, yeah, maybe the person I'm calling out for that is myself. Right. Um, so, you know, maybe a a little bit of like the story of my own, uh, engagement with like the pandemic broadly Mm. was, uh, you know, like so many, um, autodidact self-educators, um, I was aware of and concerned about the coronavirus months before anyone around me um, and, you know, watched and sort of like fell for those videos out of China where people appeared to be collapsing and dying in the street. And, um, you know, as, as sort of like the virus arrived on American shores, it uh, arrived very early to Aspen, right? We had a... Um, we had a uh, media and travel agent delegation from Wuhan in November, and uh, you know I had plenty of friends who uh, retroactively looked back and like, oh no, I you know I definitely had coronavirus over Christmas. Like uh, the the symptoms check out in that way. Right. Um, and then you know um, so I remember sort of like early on being like, yo, this is really dangerous. We need to take this more seriously. Um, I don't want to work a big crowded event right now. And, uh, you know, then, uh, finding myself, uh, several months later, very early to like, yo, you don't have to worry about this. I've had this, it's mild, lots of other people have had this and it's not as scary as, as we thought And the ability to sort of like course correct or admit you were wrong or, um, uh, you know, in like, I don't know what you would call it, like stand, uh, seemingly alone in Mm. in your expression of this right um and and i remember sort of like right after the so you know the mountains closed uh on march 15th and i remember going out on my split board and and hiking up the mountains and uh looking at groups of people who were like you know just sort of hanging out together and and hiking a feature in the terrain park or something Mm -hmm. and being like you guys aren't social distancing enough in my mind you know and like <laughs> uh, sort of like judging them for for not being afraid enough right uh and and you know now uh feeling a similar thing when you know when you walk through town and you see people walking outdoors who are still in nests mm. and you're like you're like look at these you know these poor hypnotized people uh who have been captured by this fear spell and like you know um just recognizing i guess in myself how uh how prone we are to all of this even those of us who really fancy ourselves uh independent
0: thinkers thinkers yeah well man at at least you have the humility and the courage to recognize that and you know admit where there might have been an you know an, an oversupply of panic or fear or however you want to characterize it and realize you know that a a change in perspective is necessary. And I I think, you know, referring to those people that kind of uh, had their orange pill moment during the pandemic, I think, you know, I've noticed several that have taken that approach. Of course, a lot of people that still hang on are refused to do that. And so they, they have to keep everything. It has to all still be real in order for them not to have to confront that, uh, you know, that they made a mistake or that they overreacted or, you know, whatever they might've done in response to this. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why so many people still do, do hang on, which, you know, maybe those, those mask wears that you, you know, you just referred to. Um, Cause it's, you know, first of all, it was a trip, like being someone who, who stood out against, you know, the, the panic and the fear at the time it was happening, you know, you had to have a lot of courage and you had to know, you know, why you were doing that. And you had to not be afraid of the repercussions and, Few and far between, I mean, a high representation in the Bitcoin world, but, certainly. uh, But you know, first of all, even there, there were, you know, that didn't mean you were impervious to it. Um, But yeah, and, and, but again, that's what made it so interesting because when you encountered those instances of people standing up and, you know, despite the retribution that they might uh, receive saying like, this is what I think, I think this is wrong for these reasons. And, you know, you can go fuck yourself if you don't. you know, if, if you don't agree, or if you want to impose something on me, and it was great to 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 see them pop up because it made it easier to identify those people and connect with them, and and you know potentially build relationships or support or have conversations with or whatever. Uh, but I, you know, it, I think as as the years go by, we will forget just how crazy it was, just how how gripped by that fear spell you mentioned that you know so many were, and all the perverse behaviors that emerge from that and again it's I mean it's it's a perfect corollary in my mind to how panics and fear and these things unfold in other places you know again just different characteristics of the time the attribute the community it's happening to the level of fear the level of hate that's piled on the pre-existing divisions based on race or culture or you know language or religion or, or whatever like all that has an influence on just how crazy it gets but um, and, and now, I mean, it's kind of coming full circle, right? Like we, even this conversation, I mean, and, and the height of things, this might have been immediately removed from being live stream on Twitter, right? Just us using it's these possible, words.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's possible for sure. And we're not like, we're, we're not espousing anything crazy, really. We're just commenting on, you know what, we're not making any claims about vaccine and COVID and stuff, but just using those words, we might've been booted. And, and now, you know, again, with Elon, whatever you might think of him. uh, well, at least you can express yourself more freely now, and at least you know you right. can say these things, and you know potentially well, in that
1: one in that one spot anyway on Twitter. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Course, yeah. The other ones, you know, they're still largely a dumpster fire, but most of the most of the intellectual activity or the most of the activity generally seems to be happening on Twitter, and as far as That's news right, yeah. and information is concerned. Um, now, I'm I'm not, you know, I don't think this is. The pendulum is swinging in a temporary fashion, perhaps, let's say I'm, I'm, I, you know, fixing Twitter is not going to fix the problems that we think Bitcoin is best suited for. You know, that's probably right. going to take some time, but at, at the very least, uh, there's a more open marketplace for ideas now, you know, and, and people can say these things and hopefully the truth will emerge. And, you know, if I'm, if we really get treated to some, uh, if things go really well, there might even be some retribution in certain cases for you know the the harm that was done over the last two years
1: yeah one hopes right i I don't have a ton of optimism for
0: it Um, no no, me neither
1: but but yeah i mean one hopes that sort of um we can be a civilization that learns and course corrects um when the obviousness of our missteps reveal themselves or yeah are brought to light
0: yeah i mean that's it's almost like well, it's not the, the best you could hope for, but that would be very nice if if the, the quicker we are to course correct, you know, it's gotta be a an a, a highly beneficially like adaptive sort of behavior, right? To recognize when you're off course and, and correct. You know, the other thing, and we'll I guess move on after this, but you talk the the other um, detrimental outcome of, of such behavior, is just how we said this before, but how narrow the perspective and how narrow the focus on a given fear or a given, you know, object of that you want removed, let's say a, a hate of some kind. So for in Rwanda, it might've been a particular race of people, right? And that's the the vision is narrowly focused on that. And the same during the pandemic, right? Whether it was rate of infections or just anything to do with the virus, Right. And paying no attention to, as you said, all the suicides, all the people who weren't, you know, getting diagnostic and other medical care, all the drug overdoses. I mean, in, in, in the U.S. right now, there's over 100,000 opioid deaths per year, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's almost two Vietnam Wars per year of young people, primarily, dying of drug overdose. And because of an exclusive focus on, I mean not exclusively because of that, because it's an undertreated issue generally, in my opinion, but let's just say that point being that when you focus everything on one particular thing at the exclusion of everything else, I mean, of course you're going to have tragic and bad outcomes because you're just, you're devoting all the attention and other resources to one thing and, and letting everything else uh, be neglected and often, you know, forcefully neglected. It's just craziness, but Anyways, here we are. Yeah,
1: no, I'm I'm brought to mind of two two things. Um, The first is sort of like, um, is there a place for that fear or that despondency in cultivating the change that we hope to see? Um, And then the second thing is, um, can a vision of something better be salient enough to um, drive that change?
0: I think, go ahead.
1: um, Well, yeah, so, you know, maybe this is a good segue into sort of like, um, into Aspen specifically and sort of like the two great bubbles that I pointed to that have like driven the natives out of their homes and, and, you know, out of uh, this land. Mm -hmm. The first being sort of like the silver bubble of the late 1800s. And the second one being the great fiat bubble of 1971 to the present. Um, and sort of like, uh, you know, when you have somewhat of a sense of hopelessness about your prospects for achieving prosperity inside of a given context, uh, that's when you um, start uh, taking your inquiry a little bit wider and further afield and start sort of like searching for solutions that um, don't appear to be on the menu as the menu was handed to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I'm brought to mind of that great uh, William Gibson quote, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Totally. Um, so, you know, like I, I am recording this right now from uh, a home that I own in the upper Valley of Aspen. Um, but it's a home that I only sort of own because it's part of a, um, You know, subsidized parallel economy that is deed restricted in terms of, um, you know, appreciation of the value of the homes uh, on a year in, year out basis. And then uh, once I sell my home, I have to do so back into the system uh, from which I got it. And so, you know, we have a situation where like the average home price uh, in Aspen is north of $10 million. I, you know, couldn't imagine myself working uh enough hours to afford that and um you know i own a home that uh i bought for you know less than a quarter of a million dollars the land alone which would be worth two or three million dollars on the sort of like free and open market so i mean free-ish
0: right what do you mean deed like there's there's price caps on homes in aspen is that what you're saying
1: (laughs) And this is something that uh, Aspen and county government identified as early as the 1970s, uh, as a problem where, um, yo, we're gonna lose our workers because our workers can't afford to live here. And um, so what they did is they start the, the, the uh, city and county governments created a uh, real estate transfer tax dedicated and dedicated the proceeds of it to basically like buying up property uh, that would serve as worker housing. And so about two thousand of these units are rental units, and you have to you know prove that you uh, work a certain number of hours per year uh, in Pitkin County in order to uh, have access to it. And then um, there's another you know fifteen hundred or so uh, units that are owned by their occupants, but again, you still have to prove uh, that you're working, I think it's fifteen hundred hours a year for a business that's located here. And appreciation of that real estate is capped at uh, either 3% or the CPI. And then when you sell it, you have to sell it back into um, the Aspen-Pitkin County Housing Authority program so that uh, the next person can sort of like have a hope to build a life here.
0: Right, so you you have to sell it at that artificially suppressed controlled price so that it correct. you know can be available available to somebody else in that same scenario
1: yeah that's correct yeah and and you know like um on the one hand i'm incredibly grateful to it because um you know it's allowed me a stable enough uh existence to like you know start raising a family and and um feel hopeful about you know my ability to make a life here for for the rest of my life yeah um on the other hand it's you know rife with corruption and problems and um bureaucratic bullying and sort of like, um, you know, it, well, here's an example, right? So like, if you live in a three bedroom house and you raised their, your kids there and now the kids are off to school, you know, do you have an obligation to sell and downsize to something smaller if you're living in a three or four bedroom by yourself? Mm. Like, well, you know, you don't want to kick people out of the, the home that they've lived in for 30 years and raised their children in, but on the other hand, um, somebody needs those bedrooms and so you know these are sort of like unsolved problems within this uh you know micro socialist uh
0: real estate economy remind me again what the what the segue path was between what we were discussing and that
1: oh just that um things need to be really bad for you to start seeking alternatives
0: right yeah, well, in the, in the necessity is the mother of invention, right? So I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And um, I guess the, the the point with to put a kind of a capstone on this, we're kind of discussing the freedom of speech and the the capacity to pursue truth when that is so suppressed, you know, government platform or otherwise, or the freedom of markets to find truth, you know, whether that's a, when that's suppressed by regulators and or you know the money and the people in charge of it i guess that the problem is the same in both is that if you if you don't have it then the capacity for that focus to become arbitrarily narrow on one particular thing at the detriment of nearly everything else is increased you know whereas right. if you had more freedom to pursue truth in discourse and dialogue or in markets and money then you would you would find that equilibriums are more able to be found. There would be less unnecessary destruction and detrimental outcomes. And you would probably more efficiently and more ably inch closer to finding that harmonious truth, whatever it might be in whatever domain. Right. And,
1: you know, it's, it's funny because, um, so like, you know, I mentioned that the average home price in Aspen is north of $10 million on, on the free market. It's insane. Um, it's insane. Most of those houses are not occupied fifty weeks a year, right. forty-eight weeks right. a year. So what they actually are is a savings account for some New York hedge fund owner, or you know, right, right, like Los Angeles-based, you know, uh, media executive, or or this kind of thing. Um, you know, they are effectively serving as a savings account or a, um, you know appreciate they're an appreciating asset that is used occasionally for the utility value. And so, and so one of the things that's sort of like weird about the employee housing program is that like the homes within it are actually closer to uh, the utility value of homes. Mm. Well, but it's like only through this really drastic manipulation that you can like achieve
0: that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it seems like total, You know, command and control, top down, you know, management of the economy because of the perversions that have emerged within it. Because you you have to think that, you know, no matter how lovely the environment and how attractive it is, if there weren't such, you know, systemic manipulation of, you know, capital and all the downstream effects of that, an equilibrium would be found. Yeah, sure. You know, like a lot of rich people would go there because it's lovely and they want to have a ski house, but there would be a natural. Uh, normalizing variable, which is if it's not if it's too expensive for for the workers who service those people to live there, then the value of the environment would have to adjust such that you know it wouldn't be as attractive to all those people because there wouldn't be enough people to service it. You know, and so you would think it would have to find its its natural equi- equilibrium that way. But because we have such a perverse monetary system and the regulatory systems built on top of them, you have this like increasing necessity. I, I mean, I, I think this is why manipulated money systems always inevitably end up in communism because more and more top-down control is necessary to patch up all the areas that are breaking down as a result of it that that aren't right. finding natural natural equilibriums and so you need increasing amounts of force increasing amounts of control to try to patch up these so-called problems that wouldn't exist in the first place if you if you had a a more natural system let's say
1: right you know and you um yeah you i, I would say like you might say that those manipulations would be striking at the branches of that corruption rather
0: than at the root. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, they I mean, those manipulations are coming from a vestige of well, it's like it would be one branch against another, right? I mean, that it's they're kind of part of the same animal. So I I don't think they would it's not an option for them to strike at the root. I mean, they can only strike at these symptoms so that's why even well intended or not you know obviously most people that are wrapped up in this stuff uh are not part of you know the fiat money conspiracy or the fiat money uh you know the lords of the fiat money system but the you know the options are there's no other options seemingly so you have to revert to bandage solutions and top-down control to try to you know drum up uh unnatural solutions here and again i think that's why We ultimately, these systems ultimately wind up in, you know, command and control, increasingly command and control economies, because one, their attempts to do that only create perversions elsewhere and only lead to misallocation and and destruction of capital, leaving more need and necessity in the system, asking for more of of that command and control response, thinking that it's the solution, but not realizing that it's it's ultimately, you know, the problem or, or exacerbating the problem. So well bitcoin fixes this right <laughs>
1: that's right yeah it does
0: i mean you know this is this is the root thing and and sort of like um
1: yeah if if corruption and centralization uh begets more of the same right which it, you know it clearly certainly does mm-hmm. um and you have sort of like uh successfully internalized that fact then yeah you have to start searching for things that are, um, you know, more in alignment with nature.
0: Yeah. And I guess this goes back to your point. Like you have to be aware of the problem and maybe feel it to a certain degree to be looking for a solution. And this, I think, that, you know, there's oftentimes at least as far as I've observed, it goes kind of two ways. And so you get these the people that they have that moment and something clicks and they realize, you know, things aren't going in the right direction and there needs to be an alternative solution that ignites, a certain curiosity a certain search for truth or solution or what have you or you could go the other way which potentially characterizes that person you mentioned earlier about kind of just uh you know focusing on the the snowboarding videos and following their bliss sort of thing but i think there's like a strong component of, of apathy there possibly even <laughs> nihilism where it's like uh you know you just you stop caring about everything and when per- perhaps not everything but you stop caring about the things that are perhaps most consequential And that's when I think you you more easily are led astray. You more easily become unintentionally like an agent in that system, right? Because unless you're actively seeking truth, unless you're actively seeking a solution to the biggest problems, it's probably, you know, odds are at least in some capacity and probably more than your your counterpart who's not doing that, contributing to the problem itself, you know, even via your own complacency. And I mean, I would say that that's characterizes a lot of people. And that's why we, I think it's so important to elevate as a virtue, the courage of, of saying what you believe to be the truth. And, and, you know, all the, you know, the more people that can hear that message the better, I guess, is the point.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and, um, you know, everybody, everybody will need, everyone needs truth. Eventually, you know, you can, you can insulate yourself to a remarkable degree from, uh, consequence and cause and effect and uh you know the laws of nature but eventually everybody needs to embrace reality as it is because that that's just the deal man you're going to die and <laughs> and you know like um the the more uh studiously you insulate yourself uh, unfortunately, the more deranged you might become. Yeah. Before you, before you arrive there.
0: Yeah. Well, I, again, I would, I think a lot of, of the cultural things that have become cultural norms are indicative of that. Right. I mean, you look at how much things like bad food and, you know, binge watching TV or internet or social media and substance abuse and being yeah. medicated. Like you, you look at narcissism how, is a huge right, one. Right. Right. You know, Fiat culture, broadly speaking, as we call it, but you look at how prevalent those behaviors are and how normalized they've become, um, to the point where you know they're, they're not even they're they're broadly accepted and they're not even questioned. But I would say all of those things are in some form a manner of not confronting the truth that you just alluded to and and like means of diverting attention away from that. And I would say I would agree with you. Like I think it's ultimately destructive. But it would seem there's sufficient distraction, sufficient mechanisms and sufficient acceptance of those things to allow people to do them at you know all the way up to the grave basically mm-hmm. and and never uh, never see the folly of, of those ways, let's say
1: right yeah no you can be uh you know Jeff booth talks about how sort of like you end up exporting the the problems, exporting the inflation, exporting the destruction. Farther away from the core, such that you're able to ignore or forget about it. Yeah. Um, And there's a, you know, really, uh, I mean, like, here's a, here's a sort of like beautiful and also tragic, um, emblem of it. Right. So around here, we have this, um, series of backcountry huts, maybe 25 of them. They're way out in the mountains. Um, if they have electricity, it's, it's enough to like put some led light bulbs on the ceiling but otherwise they're like heated with wood stoves and they offer this incredible respite uh, from like just, you know, broad culture. And so you go out with the six people that you're out with, you carry everything that you need for the weekend up into these huts. And then, you know, you sit by the fire and you talk and you play games and, and you know, you go out and, and hike in the woods and, and do your skiing or snowboarding. And um, anyway, one of the nicer ones is called the McNamara Hut. And it's named after Robert McNamara, who famously was the Secretary of Defense uh, during the Vietnam War, and then uh, for about twenty years was the president of the World Bank. And um, you know, if you have read Gladstein's recent piece about sort of the harm done to so many uh, developing countries and and just sort of like impoverished people by this. Uh, debt slavery driven by by the IMF and the World Bank, you can say like, boy, this this idyllic uh, hut and opportunity to engage with nature is sort of like paid for with the proceeds of uh, some of the worst uh, colonialism
0: of our lifetimes. Is it called the McNamara hut because he donated the money to build it or something? Yeah. And there's another one,
1: you know, a couple miles away that's named for his wife, Margie right and uh you know the um there's a similar one i you know in that piece i sent you uh we i I talked a little bit about uh prince bandar the the saudi ambassador to the u.s who um you know certainly during his trips to aspen helped maintain the petrodollar system and and buttress it you know through his meetings with you know, secretaries of state of the U S or presidents or senators or whoever he's, he's sort of connecting with while he's here. Well, you know, he also um, donated seven figures to the organization I worked at where I was coaching and and mentoring kids. Right. And this idea that you sort of like export the harm uh, in order to enrich the, the more local. And this idea that sort of like, Um, inside of the fiat system the only way to sort of like achieve prosperity is at the expense of everything else and that we've never had a system that allows you know what that where like what's good for me uh, is also beneficial to the system at large right the kind of network effect where every person you add to it makes it better for everyone else rather than adding to it and making it worse as Jeff Booth talks
0: about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Positive sum generally. And, and also, you know, and a lot of people would probably have an issue with this, but I think it will become more and more apparent how Bitcoin is also far more um, like harmonious with nature, ultimately. Like I think people will realize how that changes our behaviors and changes how extractive or damaging we are to nature, and you know, because it makes me think of it, because you know, you have this idyllic sort of place like the mountains in Aspen, let's say, and what you're saying is like it's kind of, uh, you know, polluted with the the contributions and the intent of of these people that, you know, maybe even, well, intent maybe may not be the right word, because uh, you know, perhaps. Again, I'm going out on a limb here, but perhaps they had, you know, good intentions in all the things they did, but they 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 existed within a system where, you know, maybe they had too much power and that just and or greed was was too appealing to them and that influenced subconsciously their behaviors. And you know, by virtue of the fact that the, the system could be so influenced by such a powerful actor in them, it was, and the detrimental effects were apparent in, in many different places. As, as you say, they were externalized into many different places. Um, and now, you know, and so it, it, it's contrast, you know, that beautiful nature with the, this perverse system that destroys basically, destroys people, destroys nature, destroys, you know, everything. Yeah. Whereas, you know, here we are discussing another system that would presumably be generative, be generative to the individual, be, be health- inducing into the individual and the environment. And I, I genuinely think that's going to be the case with, with Bitcoin. And then so it'd be great to have you know Hal Finney huts in the in the mountains uh in the future instead of uh you know Bandar or McNamara or whatever fiat you know famous yeah. person.
1: Yeah I, I will I will certainly work on that. I, I had two thoughts while you were um, <laughs> while you were saying that the first is um you know uh well here's an example you don't actually need to be um, you can think you're doing the right thing and still harm. Oh yeah. Everything else. So, so an example from my own life um, in the summer of 2021, my wife and I bought a brand new Nissan Leaf. It's an electric car. It's quite small. It's, you know, very efficient. Um, It's great. We, we borrowed $30,000 at a 0% interest rate to buy this car. Mm. And so, you know, on the one hand we benefit from sort of the um i don't know the the like wow what a good person you are you have an electric car uh sort of like social uh benefit we also benefit tremendously because it's like yeah it costs a buck of electricity to you know fill the batteries and and drive around and it's, it's very inexpensive to own mm-hmm. um but of course by you know printing thirty thousand dollars into existence and pulling it from the future into our present, we made everyone in the dollarized system poorer by some infinitesimal amount. Yeah. So I apologize. Um, <laughs> 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 but, you know, that's that's an area where it's like, you know, you can think you're doing the right thing. You can try to do the right thing. But if you're doing so within a fundamentally malign frame, mm. uh, the outcomes are going to be on balance, uh, probably worse for the world.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Well put. Um, and and this is where like the the empathy or the sympathy, uh, perhaps undeserved for some people in in the broader fiat system. People, you know, at the helms of it or in the higher echelons of it, because you know they're basically doing what you did, but with more power behind them, like higher right. up on the system, and therefore more able to take advantage of it and if we're going to condemn them for do and again like i'm we have to exclude people who have intentional have malicious intent you know and get behind the world bank to enslave a resource rich country or whatever right but just people that think you know they're doing good um but are at the helm of a system that can't really execute that intent with full fidelity it, it, it like pushing their will through it necessitates Destruction or unfairness or imbalance somewhere, and you know what you said is a great example because you know today a lot of Bitcoiners would say like if you have access to capital, I mean look what Sailors doing right. If you if you if you can sure. borrow money at at basically if you can get money for free and put it into Bitcoin, you're a moron for not doing it basically. Right. Um, but that billion dollars, that thirty thousand dollars, whatever, you have the privilege to access it. You know for free. But it's coming from the purchasing power of people who don't have that, or, you know, money holders generally of that currency. And obviously the ones that are most susceptible to injury from that process are the ones that don't have appreciating assets, that don't have cash flow generating assets, are the ones that, you know, paycheck to paycheck, money savers, that sort of thing. And so is it immoral to do that? I mean, you, there's many it's ways just, I mean, you can slice that, yes. right?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with, yes, it is, but um, this is me helping to try and make amends in my small way by educating those around me uh, and really anyone who will hear it, uh, that there's a better way.
0: Yeah, it's, well, uh, sure, that's a totally viable answer, but it's tricky, right? Because you could say, well, well, first of all, everyone's doing it, not a great excuse, but, you know, it's part of of the discussion perhaps, but you could say, well, the cantillionaires, they're just going to do it to perpetuate the system to keep accruing things for themselves to destroy lives, planets, environments, whatever to to perpetuate their control So shouldn't I do it if I can funnel that energy into a way that not only makes an alternative fairer system stronger but also that I might have the resources to have a, a magnified impact with in the future like is that a, is that a justified rationalization or is that just, rationalizing something because it's it's such it's a it's of such great benefit to you that you want to you know find a way to make yourself feel good about it
1: i mean that sounds a lot like uh effective altruism as <laughs> yeah as exactly by sam bankman fried right exactly like, oh well you know like um we have to buy this crazy mansion to do our thinking about the altruistic future because we'll think better if we're doing so from you know, the lap of luxury. And then, you know, the Mm -hmm. trillions of people yet to be born will benefit from our good thinking. Um, I don't think that's in alignment with nature, right? Like nature makes its advancement in a distributed random walk, not through central planning of self-appointed leaders.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's let's use that example. Is is leveraging the fiat system just getting a middleman to do your dirty work. So instead of, you know, uh, stealing customers funds directly so that you can do all the good you claim that you're going to do, you get someone else to, you have an intermediary that kind of keeps your hands cleaner, but the outcome is similar. Again, the, you know, the action is different. There are nuanced differences of course, but there's, there's a, there's somewhat of a similarity there. Is there not?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I guess my my take would be, the more you know, the more you understand, the greater your obligation to, uh, truth and right action. And the more naive you are about the consequences of your, you know, use of leverage and debt to accumulate resources, uh, the less culpable you might be.
0: Sure, yeah, not you know and the, and then the to, same- to which you know you what you're doing is always extremely important in in a moral judgment, right, and then maybe the other side of that equation is um the more
1: sentient a being is, the more obligation you have to uh try and alleviate its suffering, right, like there's uh, there's like concentric circles of closeness, you know it's it's most important to be good to your family, mm-hmm the next step out is it's very important to be good to your community. The next step out is it's very important to be good to your nation and and then to your world and then to just sort of like uh, humanity at large. I mean, this might be a little bit of Peterson's like clean your room first uh, idea, right? Yeah. Um, But I would say similarly, like there's more obligation to um, alleviate the suffering of a human than say a dog and uh, a dog than say like an insect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Seems reasonable to me. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm again, this, this is what is so beautiful. And I think why so many of us get so amped about Bitcoin is that because, because I'm not trying to, to throw shade at anyone who, you know, gets cheap money right now and puts it into Bitcoin. I mean, it's, it, it's hard to go against that incentive and, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm not here saying that it's wrong to do it, but I am, uh, very excited about a future where that's not even a question that we have to determine. It's like totally th- that can't, you know, in in, in, a, in a let's say a full Bitcoin standard, that can't happen. At least in a in, you know in a very different uh, way. And it, I, like the the injustice should one exist in in the system there now and privilege the people who are able to dilute others for their benefit, which is basically what you know borrowing. Uh, low cost capital is, um, just won't be an option. And so, you know, we'll be, we'll be starting from a basis of, of fairness for everyone. And then we let the, the, you know, the mechanics and the machinery of meritocracy and creating value and hard work and all that kind of stuff, uh, run its course and find, you know, find its own level between people, but this, you know, kind of picking winners and losers based off privilege, uh, will ideally be greatly diminished.
1: Yeah. And I guess the question is um, maybe this is the accelerationist perspective, right? Like, right. are you doing good by hastening the demise of fiat so that um, we arrive at a hyper Bitcoinized future earlier?
0: But are and we kind of back it, in the effect of altruism dynamic? Yeah, now? we are for sure. We are for sure. Um, and, you know, so,
1: so yeah, I mean, I, I know my own approach is much more uh, in the sort of like stay humble and stack sats and just like do your work in the world and save in an instrument that like your time and energy is scarce.
0: Yeah. Um, and like- Provide value, live below your means, save, repeat.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, I and and also uh, help those around you to understand the same.
0: hmm Yeah, I- I'm inclined to agree with that, and I, you know, I don't have easy access to cheap capital, so it's not a, a moral quandary I have to uh, contend with. <laughs> but, um, but I do, you know, I wonder about it in other areas too, because as you say, I mean, you could frame it as the thing that brings about hyperbiquinization the quickest is good, because that outcome or that end <laughs> is good. But you know, I, I've, I think I very much, I'm pretty sure I believe that means basically become ends or the means are stitched into or imbued in the ends. Um, and that's why it's so important to achieve your ends the right way, you know, and I think history is littered with examples of perhaps valid ends, but they were, uh, sought in the wrong ways or in immoral ways or shortcuts were taken and that corrupted, uh, the ends ultimately and made them less persistent or permanent or, or, uh, took from them whatever moral high ground they they might have had or moral justification they might have had. And so I think the, the means, you know, the ways by which you go about achieving your ends are very, very important. And I like, it's really case by case what the, what to attach to, to find the principle in these things. But another one is like, in regards to promoting Bitcoin, you say, well, do you want, you know, some scammer, some grifter, some, you know, person who's otherwise, billionaire. yeah, something like that, do you, do you support them because they also have a loudspeaker and they're able to get part of their messages pro Bitcoin, and that would ostensibly inform people and accelerate the onset of hyper Bitcoinization. But you, in doing that, you're supporting someone who, you know, has all these other flaws, let's say or is doing all this other stuff that might be counter to that objective, or even just totally outside the realm of being related. But you know what I'm trying to say? Like it's, where do you draw the line basically on, well, how do you, how to, how to achieve your ends? Like, is it, is it only, even if it, even if it would take longer, even if it would be a slower, more painful process to the end that you ultimately are striving for that you think are is good is it important to accept that delay? Let's say um, because of a a rigid adherence to getting there with a you know principle step by principled step. I guess is. Mm-hmm. You sound like you're talking about uh, split boarding, John. <laughs> right. I'm so about uh, what
1: with, about uh, snowboarding?
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> Maybe I, I'll try and jump in a little bit here on yeah, sure. that. Uh, and use and try and use sort of like snowboarding as a metaphor for for that um so one of the great heroes of snowboarding was a guy named craig kelly he was the first great competitive snowboarder who dominated all of the contests uh through sort of like the mid to late 1980s and um at Arguably the peak of his powers, he withdrew from that world and set about educating himself to become a backcountry guide and learn about, you know, how to navigate avalanches and how to choose a route safely and how to um, express yourself in relationship with a mountain or a piece of terrain. And um, he ultimately died in that pursuit. He was guiding a group of people and uh, a absolutely enormous avalanche came down from several thousand feet above and and wiped them all out. Um, And uh, so there's this question of like, okay, if you've decided that engagement with nature and the mountains is important, and it makes people behave with more wisdom and clarity and, um, alignment with, you know, right action. Like what's the best way to get there. Right. So is the best way to get there with, to take a bunch of uh, money from energy drink companies and televise the flippy spinny, uh, spectacular version of the sport, or is the right way to get there, uh, in a one-on-one conversation over several hours where you trudge step by step to the top of a mountain um and and maybe you do need both i think you know maybe uh to run a parallel it would be like you know psychedelics are necessary to reveal uh that there are other states of consciousness but if you want to arrive at those mindsets in a uh, sustainable way, then sort of like meditation or a um, slower, more deliberate practice is going to be the right tool. And the like, you know, uh, maybe over the course of an individual life, uh, you kind of need both.
0: Yeah. But ultimately, like
1: you got to do the work. You have to have the proof of the work.
0: Yeah, I guess it really is, you know, case by case what the end is, what the means under consideration are. But I guess it's particularly maybe salient in our so-called industry, you know, because you often hear like, well, yeah, sure, the person's a grifter and they're dishonest and they're self-serving and all that kind of stuff. But they have a big audience, so let's let's leverage it, you know. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, why? Why? You know, don't why not? why not continue yourself or continue to cooperate with people that express a different set of virtues or express virtues, what's, you know, at all and amplify your end by doing that. You know, you're, you're treating your end with greater respect, in my opinion, by doing that, by getting there with those virtues and not, you know, making sacrifices or taking shortcuts or concessions along the way, you know, again, so case by case, obviously, but, um, and I think that's you know maybe that's one of the hallmarks of this whole fiat era. It's like everything, all the signals you get, or many of them, and the conditioning are conspiring to get you to do the former, to take to because the what's enticing is the shortcut, is the uh, is the means don't matter sort of approach, is the the, the faster one, you know, if for no other reason that you know it induces high time preference, right? So you want like. You want to get it done as fast as possible. And the yeah. emphasis is more placed on that rather than the, the emphasis placed on the importance and the necessity and the value of taking those steps in as virtuous a manner as you can and realizing that the end you seek is very much determined by how you get there. No, and that right. in that case, it probably doesn't really matter what the what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there's also a sense of like, there is no arrival,
0: right? Right. Well, that's there's all only, the more reason why the journey is important or yeah. how you, how you engage in the journey is important, right?
1: Yeah. There's no such thing as mastery. There's no such thing as a peak of progression. There's no such thing as a final uh, outcome. Right. And there is only sort of the the journey. And then it makes it maybe easier to
0: um, make the right choices. That. That makes it way easier to make the case for for what we've been discussing (laughs) i think because because then all that matters is how you engage the process i mean that that, because that's all there really is you know uh ends are transient points along the way you know along a never-ending process and so the the prime determinant or the, the greatest hallmark is not how quickly or the highs of those transient ends but literally who you are as you're engaging that process and what you're bringing to the engagement of that process. Yeah. You could, you know, you could take a helicopter to the top of the mountain um, and you'd be there very quickly,
1: but you wouldn't have the same depth of relationship with that piece of nature. And mm-hmm. when you, um, you know, look across the Valley at the track that you've left down it Um it won't have as much value, or as much meaning, or as much um, depth. Yeah, because you didn't really earn it.
0: That makes me you, think. It, work. It, it makes me think. It's not that shortcuts aren't so-called good. There maybe there are no shortcuts because the place you get by taking them is not is not the place that you would have gotten to had you taken another route your example you just gave is, is perfect for it, right? Because what you're able to access at what you presume to be an equivalent destination is different as a result of how you got there. And so, right. yeah, I mean, perhaps it's the case that there, shortcuts are an illusion. You think, you think you're getting to the same place, but what you're able to access is different.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, one of the... Um... I think thinking of it as a forever process rather than a journey that has a destination, Um, especially because all the great heroes journey end up with the hero returning home anyway. Um, (laughs) And Yeah, ideally, right? Exactly, unless you die out there in ways of glory. (laughs) Um, You know, thinking of it as a process that kind of never ends, I think also allows you to forgive yourself for the errors that you make along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you can know that um, borrowing the money for the electric car harmed people and say, well, that was part of my, you know, like I'm trying to learn from that. Yeah. I'm trying to do it less or whatever. I, I, like
0: I definitely agree. It's a more optimal orientation because I, I think it just, it places the focus on your mode of being and not whatever it is you're striving to accomplish. And in the latter, you know, I think this is how a lot of, you know, negative externalities, let's say emerge in the world, because people can be so single-mindedly focused on a particular aim. I mean, this is kind of what we were discussing earlier at the exclusion, you know, or, or as, you know, and as a result being unaware of damage they may be causing or, you know, uh, principles they may be violating or behaviors they may be engaging in as a result of that because of that single-minded focus on that aim is good and that's you know and that's what i want to achieve versus if your focus is on the mode of being is in, is is in instilling or imbuing your actions with certain values and principles and and you know twofold that being well i think that being a more optimal orientation but but two you having being able to derive the satisfaction and gratification of success from moment to moment, because you know that that's your primary goal. I mean, you still have, you still have those, uh, you know, benchmark or transient goals on the horizon. Let's say you're still moving towards something or something is still pulling you forward, but there's a certain, there's like the, the hierarchy of what's important is perhaps more properly oriented. And so you can have greater satisfaction in the work, in the journey. You can, you can, uh, value it more, let's say. And, and in doing that, minimize those, um, negative externalities that perhaps emerge as a result of a more narrow focus on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And I also think that like, uh, to the extent that you are achieving your goals or hitting those benchmarks or, you know, arriving at those peaks, uh, the joy that you, uh, obtain from those achievements. Is longer lasting you know it's not a sugar high it's a it's a you know marker of uh identity or something
0: more yeah But well, maybe you believe in them more because you know you here we you you know you got to them the right way you yeah. know like if, if you achieve an end whether it's hyper bitcoinization or whatever and you know you got there through shortcuts through dirty dealing through all this kind of shit i mean again, that you would, the experience of arriving will be totally different because you'll have arrived to a place where that satisfaction is absent.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. Because you you, you can't lie to yourself, you know, how you got there, you know what you did. But if you know that, alternatively, if you got there in a manner that you would construe as being right, you know, that it can, you know, imbued with certain virtues or principles or values, then when you get there, I would, that destination is different. It's not hollow, it's enriched with, Right. All of those things it's a it's a celebration of those things almost you know t- and to say that these things properly led to that outcome, and I think you can take far more from it. I mean you know, and that's part of the added benefit of approaching things in that way, even if they occur as a result on a timeline that's you know doesn't fit your schedule for, let's say <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, um what has? Spending so much time, you know, you've referenced nature a few times in this discussion. Mm -hmm. What has spending so much time in nature, how has that influenced your perspective? Uh, And obviously that's a broad question, but just curious if it's, you've noticed that it's influenced your perspective in ways that, you know, perhaps people without that exposure wouldn't have or wouldn't notice. Boy, that's a hard question. Um, Thank you for it. (laughs)
1: The, (laughs) um, you know, so I think one of the most important things that it has taught me is that, um, there is value to be found in many different, uh, wavelengths of time and sort of like, um, cycles. So like, um. Oh, let's say, you know, um, if you post a real banger on social media, you might get like 24 hours of pretty focused, um, praise, praise or response or feedback or, or whatever. And then, and then it sort of like falls away. Mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't help you, you know, that, that is maybe you can like attune your mind to that call it like two to 24 hour feedback loop or wavelength. And, um, you know, that's fine, but you're going to be missing out on some of the longer term uh, understandings that might be available to you. And so, um, you know, part of engaging in like a seasonal sport uh, like snowboarding or mountain biking is like, yo, you got to be patient. It's going to snow when it snows. And it's going to be great when it happens. And you need to be ready for it when it does. But you can't just have it now. Mm. You know, it's not January, it's not March. um, And you have to just like be patient with that. And I think that um, it's helped me as a parent because it's helped me to understand um, that there are also, you know, the wavelength or measure of like an entire human life. And that there's an appropriate time to educate your kid about this topic or that topic. And if you try and rush that, you're not gonna, it's not gonna work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like, um and then there's also just sort of this um, very real like sense of cause and effect or uh feedback and so you know when i'm uh when i'm talking to like s- adventure or outdoor sports or action sports athlete folks about bitcoin you know one of the the metaphors that i often use or analogies that i often use is like okay imagine you're trying to hit that jump and you don't know how strong gravity is going to be until some dude named jerome like, <laughs> <makes the> declaration <laughs> for the day
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great,
1: um, you know, or alternatively, like, um, what if every time I jumped off a cliff you were the one that hit the ground? and like Another how quickly would I learn what is, you know, how quickly would I learn the criteria for jumping off a cliff safely?-hmm I don't know that I ever would.
0: And how would you feel about you know the rules that you're subject to? Probably not not too good, right?
1: Yeah. And so this idea that sort of like, you know, one of the things that nature uh, teaches is that, like, um, there's real value. You can build something. You can take a long-term approach if you know that the rules under which you're operating are going to be simple, universally applied, consistent over time, um, and understandable.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, That's super well-
1: yeah, Bitcoin does that, right?
0: Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's super well put, and I, I think that just bolsters the case for Bitcoin. You know, strangely harmonizing with uh, certain cycles of nature, or, or the ways in which you know nature operates, and and bringing them into the intersubjective realm. You know, the social realm in, in between people and the the constancy uh, of nature. And the, you know, what's able to flourish and, and harmonize as a result of that.
1: And also the seasonality of it, right? It's constant, but it's also, you know, changing in a relatively predictable way. And, and
0: right, um, right. you know,
1: that there are sort of like uh, complex feedback loops that can be, you know, understood with greater fidelity, but they can't necessarily be uh, manipulated or changed.
0: Right. Which is why I think you have to, in a sense, you can operate within them, but you're still submitting to the absoluteness of some of those rules, right? And I I think one of the the effects that has is instilling a sense of humility. You know, as someone who spent a lot of time on in you know precarious environments, if not always dangerous, that's probably instilled in a lot of people. Like you know, you you reference the avalanche, right? You can be the most competent mountaineer in the world, but sometimes nature is just is too much for you, you know, and if Mm -hmm. and so that that degree of absoluteness, I think, instills humility. And I would say I think that's that's what I've been observing with a lot of people that get into Bitcoin is like, you know, uh there's a lot of different personalities, but one thing people that's impressed upon people who learn about it's like, oh, here's this thing that I can't do anything to change. So I must change in reference to this thing. I must adapt myself to the constancy of this thing if I want to take advantage of it as to the extent that I can if I want to extract as much value or uh, as possible from it or use it to its most valuable extent. And it seems like that would be something that would, a phenomenon that would happen in reference to nature as well. It's like, oh, well, you know, it sure. is what it is and it's of of great power. I can't do anything to change it. I need to adapt my thinking to it, not vice versa.
1: That's right. If you try and, if you're trying to behave in a way that's counter to nature, you're going to get fucking wrecked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about I, it. I noticed that a lot too with, um, you know, permaculture and ranching and farming is starting to come up in, mm-hmm. in a lot in the Bitcoin space. And, you know, I, I think one of the, this is not, let's say, entirely to blame by fiat because, um, well, probably not, because technological and cultural advancement, you know, generally makes things more convenient and therefore you get kind of cut off from uh, how things are produced. Um, but it seems like, you know, like the, if you're... If you're working land, you become far mm-hmm. more observant of the different cycles of the seasons and, you know, how, again, you kind of have to humble yourself to them. You can't make it rain. You can't make the, you know, the temperature change. You just kind of have to adapt to that. And there's a certain, certain humility in that, not only because you can't change it, but because you know that your sustenance comes directly from that. Like, this is the thing that allows you to sustain yourself. And it would seem like someone who's involved in, you know, mountaineering or outdoor activities would, would have... A similar thing you know you, you you would have that reverence almost because you you're you know that you're contending with something of great power that you can't really change and you know in in modern in the modern world you know it that appreciation of both the permanence the the, the importance and the cyclicality of these things would seem to be lost because everything is at our fingertips you know now whenever we want it right. and um And I, you know, amongst other uh, behaviors or perspectives that that probably induces, I do think one of them is just, you know, a lack of humility for how all this works. You know, because everything is just ready to your fingertips, however you want it. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be involved in the process. You know, most people, and that creates a lot of perverse thinking because you forget where everything comes from. You know, you Mm -hmm. forget how things get created. You forget the cycles of nature. You know, and of course you could extend that out even to forms of spirituality. You forget the kind of, the fullness of the, all the different patterns you're nestled within. And you just think it's all about what you want and your satisfaction and your gratification and how fast it can be provided to you. And that, you know, I think our current culture today, especially in the Western world is a reflection of how much of a perverse impact that can have on people's mindsets. Again, um, in tandem with other things that are influencing people's perspective, but I, I do, I definitely think that is one of them.
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, so we have a garden out back and um boy, we did not have a good year with the garden. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh we, we had a late harder than it looks it, that I mean we've had the garden for a few years and we've had good years and bad years with it, but but yeah, very much the um the takeaway is that like uh you've got to do the work. Uh and it's not always up to you uh what the what conditions will be for um your growth <laughs> and um you know it's sometimes you're going to get wrecked so like this year we had um oh late snow in june just after we planted and so everything was pretty stunted you know and then um in july we got a crazy hailstorm that took out you know half our plants and then we didn't do the work of setting up a high enough fence and so when we finally did have some you know tasty snap peas on the vine well the deer came in and they ate them all <laughs> <laughs> and you know we, we walked away with like some tasty potatoes and uh some some tomatoes from the greenhouse where I bet they tasted really damn good right? though
0: those ones that made it to your plate ultimately
1: certainly yeah and actually I you know ate them with a steak that I had bought from a Bitcoin rancher over in Crawford you know <laughs>
0: you, know, um, it's
1: a, you can't always get it right but uh you can always learn
0: yeah 100 percent. you know I, I i think well i mean that's a that's a great example and i of like you know just you you can't always be in control right there's and there's a there's a humility in that it's like this is what you wanted you put in the work but you didn't necessarily get it and i think it's it, interesting to consider um you know the earth was revered since time immemorial basically as you know that which provides that's what nature is right it you know if you interface with it in a certain manner it, it will provide for you and perhaps you know part of the perversion that we're experiencing in in modern culture to the extent that we are if we are it's obviously just my take on it um is perhaps like we've shifted and you know the, religion and the development of all that kind of stuff is wrapped up in this, but just suffice it to say that now, if you ask like an average person, like what provides, you know, they might say technology and, or government, you know, those are the two big things that seemingly make everything work, that allow me to, to get what I need to provide the, it it, is the direct line to nature seems to be no longer there. And maybe that's why we've come to revere, revere, technology and elevate, you know, the state perhaps beyond its appropriate position because it's intermediated that relation of sustenance and therefore reverence to such a degree that we've, it's been displaced in in a manner that perhaps is not optimal for, you know, a, a appropriate or most truthful perspective. I mean, there's obviously some truth in it, right? Because it's, it is providing, but I guess the question is, is how should that change our orientation to what we deem, you know, most value valuable, most worthy of reverence, most worthy of attention and understanding. And, you know, a lot of the things that you just referenced in terms of your time in nature and tending to a garden and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think that scale plays a really big role in this. And this idea that like, at a small enough scale where you can have really uh, deep relationship or understanding, you can, because you have you have greater uh, richness of feedback, you can afford to um, engage in more. Uh, you can afford to engage in more mechanisms of control or steering mm-hmm. and the bigger you get and the further you get from that feedback the more likely it is that your interventions will uh result in perverse or misunderstood
0: i lost you for a sec misunderstood so,
1: what uh so
0: like uh, just, I just the last thought, part perverse so or misunderstood
1: This, so, so this is something that like um you know Naval ravikant said in a tweet i think but like um you should be so you should be communist at the family level socialist at the neighborhood you know out to sort of like full libertarian at the large scale and so this mm-hmm. idea that sort of like in a small group environment say like sub dunbar number you can afford to engage in um a greater degree of steering yeah of the culture or of the people because you're getting a lot more uh Direct feedback of the consequences of that steering, and the larger the scale you get, the further you get out um, in the impact, the more likely it is that your interventions will result in perverse or harmful second-order effects or outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, another sort of like useful metaphor is, I, is I'm trying to sort of like talk to folks about like, um, you know, CPI is not a useful number for inflation. It's about as useful as sort of like, what's the average temperature in the United States today? Now go plan what clothing you're
0: going to wear. Right. Uh, <laughs> you're good with these. These are all really good. <laughs>
1: They're all stolen. Not, <laughs> I don't necessarily remember where I got them, you know, but um, a lot of, you know, yeah, a lot of sailor, a lot of Jeff Booth, a lot of, right, right, right. you know, like yeah. a lot of we of all, there. I mean, we all
0: <laughs> consume so many people's thoughts and stuff like it's it's hard to distinguish now, whether it was an original thought or, you know, implanted in there somewhere by somebody else. But, you know, it it, it is interesting that as you're saying that, and of course I agree, like, you know, the, the more separation, the more noise in the system, the less fidelity has the feedback and therefore, uh, the, the less able you are to marry, you know, the two forces or the two ends of the spectrum or whatever. And then, you know, by virtue of that kind of perversion and all the other things that cause it, as we've been discussing, in the individual, they feed, like, their signal that they're sending back to that thing is is of a particular kind That's as cool. well. And so not only is it itself perverse, but it also gets kind of mangled up along the way back. And I, it's this feedback loop of...
1: Yeah, I, was, I was picturing a spiral, right? Like
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I, and, and, there and there. I think this is literally why... Uh, you know, the, the, you can't separate, you know, the, the perversion of the perspective and the, the fiat mindset or whatever we want to call the sort of neurosis that at least everyone to some degree experiences in, in the world today and the manner in which we engage our environment, you know, i.e. nature and how we sustain ourselves and what we seek to extract from the world in order to create and manifest, um, like they're obviously very closely related. And if one is broadly speaking sick, it's going to have a, a sick impact on the other you know, and vice mm-hmm. versa. And, and I think this is why it's, it's so, again, another exciting thing about Bitcoin is that if it really is kind of uh, reorienting perception in a certain way, causing people to recapitulate or reconstruct or re-understand many different things from kind of a fundamental level up, and therefore allowing them to become a more clear thinking, uh, truth-oriented or integrated individual, again, for kind of a lack of a better term, then that will feed back into uh, their impact, obviously, on on the world and the environment. And I think that's the way we correct for both of those things, basically. Uh, and that you know, that's one of the uh, another thing that makes Bitcoin so beautiful and why you know there's 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 kind of this savior aspect of it is because it helps to reorient the individual in such a way that they're able to to contribute in a manner that's far more harmonious let's say with their environments be it social or or natural and without uh you know con- more harmonious but still in service of creation in service of production in service of manifesting what's what's most important or what's most valuable and so and also um,
1: more free and more um uh aligned with reality
0: yeah well there you go There you go. Which is why probably so many of us, you know, grapple with the question, like, (laughs) what is that? You know, what, what is reality? You know, what is it? What, what can we infer about reality through the success of this mechanism that's ostensibly allowing us to interact with it with a greater degree of fidelity? It's a a fascinating question as far as I can. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I I was thinking a little bit, I don't know if you're familiar at all with, you know, there have been lots of uh, attempts to create architectures or find systems that um, result in more, you know, equitable outcomes or alignment. with nature and one of them I don't have you seen that at all
0: you nope, cut out for yeah you Shoot. cut out for a second <laughs> again um what you, you so were this, saying have a, i seen a,
1: um, this this way of thinking or this orientation toward the world that came i think out of the santa fe institute uh kind of circles called
0: game b have you heard of this at all i heard brett weinstein talk about something like that
1: Is yeah he was part of this group and uh, this guy jordan hall was a pretty big part of this group um another guy uh Whose name is escaping me? But, but the idea was sort of that, like, if you identify that the system that you're within, um, seeking your own benefit can only come by exporting harm to the whole rest of the system. And this question of sort of like, is it possible to design a system where what's good for me is also good for everybody else? Um, and avoid the sort of like multipolar traps that, that, um, that certainly the fiat system engenders. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember sort of like being really inspired by this way of looking at the world, but then thinking like, well, I don't think you can, uh, design it the way that you guys are thinking about design, Mm -hmm. uh, because you end up in, in trying to sort of like steer complexity, you build ever more complicated, uh, systems. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that, Uh, I've subsequently come to appreciate really deeply about Bitcoin is it's a quite simple system, Mm. Um, but that the rules of it are unswerving and that, you know, they apply equally to everybody. And this is true, you know, like it's not always gentle. (laughs) It's not always, um, you know, easily explained it's not always, you know, fair in the sense that people might use the word, you know, in seeking fairness or equity or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But like uh, it is simple and it does uh, tend toward what is good for the individual is good for the collective also. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I, I remember them, Brett talking about that kind of stuff. And I just, one, I totally agree with your assessment. Like, I think, and that might be part of the reason why you know these some of these uber intellectuals um have a hard time getting grokking bitcoin because i I feel Mm -hmm. like they just their default is to think the answer to this enormous problem that we're faced with is enormous complexity or if not complexity like an answer that only the smartest among us can come up with and implement you know and then and you know brett's uh implementation of that or suggestion around it was like we just need to find like a patriot someone who's a patriot and who's not partisan and who's like a good person and we'll get one from each side of the aisle and they'll be the co-president and then things will be great (laughs) and i was like right holy shit man really that's you know (laughs) that's your suggestion um but no, I, I agree. And, and some, the, you know, Bitcoin is obviously very elegant in its simplicity, but it's also, you know, even in an, from the non-technical perspective, that, that the answer could be so simple in the sense that just a set of rules that no one is in charge of and no one could violate. And that, you know, that, that's, that's the answer, you know, with the, the appropriate, you know, divisibility and trans, you know, like sendability and, you know, using the internet as a means to do that and all that kind yeah. of jazz, but, you know, by and large, A rule set that's enforced without an authority there you go then then let the the mechanics of of consciousness of value of nature interact with that as they do in other systems to promote harmonious creation let's say Um, yeah
1: there's an element of of so like i think they're fantastic at this you know many of these uh super intellectuals are really fantastic at sort of like identifying and articulating the problem at hand uh, if they are maybe less so uh, effective at identifying the solutions to it. And so, you know, one of the metaphors uh, that I got out of my sort of like, you know, reading and watching and listening to a lot of their materials is this idea that sort of like uh, within nature, uh, competition is healthy because it drives advancement in a really like small scale step-by-step uh, process. And so, um, I don't know if it's Jordan, or Jordan Hall or Daniel Schmachtenberger, but they talk about sort of like, okay, imagine the African Savannah and you have lions and you have gazelles. If the lions make a step function improvement in their capacity and capability, um, where instead of being roughly equivalent in speed to the gazelles, Now, all of a sudden, they're twice as fast. Um, Well, what is going to happen really quickly is that they're going to eat all the gazelles and then starve to death. And so you need this competition to uh, create advancement that is still within reach of um, the interlocutor or opponent, depending on whether this is like a cooperative or competitive situation. And so like, if the lions get one half of one percent uh, faster, then you know they're going to kill off the weak gazelles, and the surviving gazelles are going to get faster. And, and this is you know sort of how evolution works. Mm-hmm. And one of the real dangers of the rapid technological advancement that we find ourselves in is that um, certain actors inside of the um, landscape are suddenly exponentially more agentic. Uh, and powerful than others. And um, that exponential increase, because it's technological in nature, that advantage doesn't last very long, right? Like uh, we went from only the US having nuclear weapons to now, you know, whatever it is, eight countries having nuclear weapons. And, um, you know, when you take these exponential leaps in capacity without uh, having sort of like corresponding uh, increases in wisdom, you're on a path to self-destruction pretty rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so this is what's sort of like beautiful about the difficulty adjustment, is that as you apply more power to it, um, it ratchets up in a way that maintains a competitive equilibrium. And also, you know, I have more Bitcoin today than I've ever had before. And yet it's getting more and more difficult for me to obtain more Bitcoin at the pace that I used to be able to obtain it at. Mm-hmm. And that uh, prevents me from sort of like um, running out of control and having, you know, 10,000 times more agency than uh, the people around me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other beautiful sort of um, regulating mechanism by virtue of it not being able to be cheated, I mean, you can't perpetuate your position at the top basically artificially. Right. So, like, you Correct. may have ten thousand Bitcoin, but once you spend them, they're spent into the economy. They flow to the people that provided value, you know. And so, that's a, a far more fairer system where, presumably, again, another equilibrium would be found between people who you know want to avail of products or services value generally, and that those who are capable and willing of providing them. Um, so you know I guess it's not that cuz you bring up you know the issue of the one that I always get stuck on is nuclear weapons right and like you you know we live in a a world of nuclear arsenals and power is still you know even though people will be far more impervious to theft let's say and over the course of time that'll dramatically change you know the ability of government to exact Tribute from people you know to taxes both direct and indirect through inflation and that means it'll shrink and that you know the whole landscape of institutions and governance and power will change dramatically um and the incentives you know the 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 return on on violence will be greatly diminished because it will be far more difficult to steal from people and therefore violence will be disincentivized relatively speaking Mm -hmm. but we still will exist in a world where there's tremendous forces of power and i guess my question is how will they be stewarded and or applied in this, let's say, flattened environment where uh wealth is not concentrated in in particular honeypots and it's way more difficult to access? To what will, will aggressive power be devoted in a in an environment like that? And and how will well, what to what effect what effect will Bitcoin have on that in terms of mitigating its uh Disastrous effects.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I, obviously, I don't know. But uh, what I hope is that uh, it reopens uh, the frontier of human exploration and, you know, makes us a Kardashev level two civilization that's out there exploring right. and, and sort of like those that have that uh, aggressive or expansionary impulse now have a uh healthier target at which to aim their energies right and and i think sort of like uh becoming a multiplanetary space fee space-faring civilization is uh a plenty worthy uh goal yeah and, and so you know like part of what the fiat world does is it closes down those frontiers because it's like oh well there's not much benefit to be made from uh, innovating or doing work relative to the benefit that I might uh, obtain by just firing up the money printer Mm -hmm. and so that turns the aggression inward uh, that sort of like might be better uh, spent off planet
0: yeah very interesting Um, basically recommissioning our sources of destructive power for other purposes when the return on violence is greatly diminished. And so the, those people that would otherwise have that inclination and perhaps also those resources would have to say, well, what's the best application of them now if it's not yep. to, to threaten or coerce? And uh, it's interesting to think that now the honeypot might be either harnessing you know, the power of another star system, let's say, being the first to do so, or to your point about exploration, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Drew Bansall's work Bitcoin Astronomy. So. Yeah, I was this, just thinking about it. Yeah. yeah the time chain. I mean, how much of a incentive is that? Like now the 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 primary incentive of having access to to power is going to, you know, pop, going to a different planet and being able to start the proof of work coin and therefore colony or civilization on that planet. And that is like after the success of Bitcoin is so apparent, that'll be such a powerful incentive that if you have a, a nuclear arsenal you know, do you want to sit there and contemplate the destruction of the world between you and whoever else has an equivalent arsenal? Or do you want to decommission it and, and build starships and go to Mars or whatever planet and be the first to start up a proof of work coin and, and get your, you know, access, to the wealth, you know, all the wealth that you can dream of in that way? Maybe that'll be a more a compelling yeah, no, you, incentive. Uh,
1: you, you take the nuclear warheads off of the top of the rockets and you put them on the bottom. Right. And you use those explosions to... Catapult these craft out into space.
0: Um, I, th- further, I and mean, further, of course, we're we're both you know kind of crazy Bitcoin people, but it. <laughs> I, I'm sure, sh- and I'm sure there'll be other interesting theories that pop up over the years. But at the moment, like the incentive to basically populate the galaxy, that's driven by, you know, the. Uh, well, the incentive to be the one to start a proof of work chain or you know on those respective planets yeah (laughs) i mean seemingly you couldn't think of a a stronger incentive right money is the is the primary incentive basically and if you can be the first to arrive on one of those planets and put in the risk and the work and the capital to populate them and get get a colony going um, and you're able to be the first one to start mining on the proof of work coin for that planet then there's a tremendous incentive there. And might that be the thing that really drives uh, exploration, you know, off of earth right. and into the galaxy.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the in the Bitcoin astronomy pieces, uh, Drew talks about sort of like, um, on the way, like, okay, you want to mine asteroids. How are you going to fund your asteroid expedition? And it's like, well, how you're going to fund it is you're going to do proof of work mining on this coin using the solar panels on your device during the three years it takes to get to the resources you hope to mine. Mm. And now you have the money to bootstrap the next round of satellites that you're sending out. Or you know, now you're um, you know, you you sort of like have this energy based mechanism for bootstrapping advancement that rad- is that uh is positive rather than negative sum.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm on board, man. That's a, if we handled the nuclear issue in a, in a way like that, that would be, uh, that would be great. And another, yeah, another so in the instance,
1: but yeah, on, a, on a galactic scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin fixes this once again. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Hunter Thom- before we shut it down, but you mentioned Hunter yeah, yeah. Thompson in your, uh, in your message to me, what was the the relevance of that? Do you remember? Mm or and or if there's anything you wanted to cover that we haven't touched on yet then fire away.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it was related to just sort of um the benefit of being an individual and uh pursuing your independent path as the muse strikes you rather than necessarily um choosing from the menu that is presented to you. And um so, you know, when so Hunter Thompson, um, just as a, maybe some background for why I mention it, um, I had the incredible good fortune of, you know, a very alternative oriented education as a kid. And um so the as man mean? Um, so I I dropped out in fourth grade, halfway through fourth grade. And Sweet. um be, largely because I wasn't satisfied with the education that was being provided me by sort of like in fourth schooling. grade. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's my mom awesome. you know, really enabled it for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she had already started like an alternative school with about 12 kids um, in the town I grew up in. You know, she was always, I know she'll listen to this, which is awesome. Uh, but, you know, she like in the early 1980s, she and all of her girlfriends started like a natural foods co-op where they were like, okay, you know, we can sort of like crowdsource enough purchasing power uh, to be equivalent to like a natural food store and uh, get accounts with the distributors of, you know, organic foods and and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 25 years before this was sort of like a relevant concern, you know, among the sort of like seed oil disrespectors or or the like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, she took a really similar approach to how she educated uh, her children. And so, you know, I was in the public school and, and, you know, like it was very easy, but I certainly wasn't thriving. Uh, you know, they'd like sort of like throw you in the gifted and talented classroom and give you a bunch of busy work that wasn't helping you grow. Hmm. And, uh, so halfway through fourth grade, my dissatisfaction with that arrangement became high enough that she was like okay i'm pulling you out you're gonna go to the mountain sage school with your little sister who's five years younger than you and you're you know and so like there's 12 kids in the school i'm two years older than anyone else in the entire school and the teacher in the school was like i don't know what to what to do with this kid you know like um because some of the kids are in the school because they have learning disabilities rather than sort of like excess capacity or whatever and and um you know what they did was um was they let me write the school play, and then the other eleven kids performed it with me? <laughs> and it was mostly just sort of like jokes I'd stolen from Mad Magazine, and you know, right. like it wasn't very good, you know. um But what it was was uh, an opportunity to say, like, okay, you can sort of like create the world as as you wish to see it. Uh, you have much more um, agency over your view of the world than then maybe you might assume at first glance. And so then um, from there, I went to a uh, then private school in the neighborhood called the Aspen Community School. And it was founded by uh, this gentleman named George Stranahan, who just passed away about a year ago. Uh, and George was uh, an heir to the champion spark plugs fortune. And so he like took that money and bought this huge piece of land all throughout Woody Creek. And then sort of like sold off chunks of it to the people that he wanted to be around. And so one chunk was, you know, the school that he founded. One chunk was Hunter's property. One chunk was, you know, another guy. And he's like, Oh yeah, we're going to be like, you know, growing cattle and uh, we're going to be serving them in the restaurant that I just bought in the neighborhood. And so, you know, he did this incredible, um, he, he founded the Aspen physics society and would create opportunities for like physicists to come to Aspen for the summer for free and just sort of like think together. And, 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 um,
0: Sounds like what a bunch of rich Bitcoiners are going to do in about 10 years time. Very much so. (laughs) Totally.
1: Uh, and you know, just this like incredible spirit of like free and open inquiry. So I had friends who were, um, you know, I often tell this story, but, um, you know, one of my friends didn't want to learn math, hated science, hated school, like just wasn't into it. And, um, so what George sort of like took him under his wing and said, okay, for your sort of like eighth grade spring semester project, um, we are going to, I'm gonna make you do the calculations of you know fuse timing and uh explosive radiuses from dynamite. And they blew up a Jeep grand wagoneer that some chick had left on Hunter's property. <laughs> <laughs> and <this was> like, <laughs> this was like his school project and it got him, you know, at least for that moment engaged in his own education. Right. Um, And so, you know, I guess just sort of like, yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, what most people take away from sort of like their appreciation of Hunter Thompson is a license to just do drugs and be a degenerate and pretend that there's like intellectual merit in your degeneracy right because that was so much of what he uh presented to the world and um what i would hope instead that people take away is a sense of like um agency over the lens that they view the world with
0: that's a awesome point I couldn't agree more. And all I'll say, because that's a great place to leave it, is I can't wait until by virtue of more people having more disposable time resources, being less in states of artificial deprivation, and being less subject to the subsidized and provided um, industrial slash government education that we have today, that more people, you know, budding, forming minds will have access to alternative forms of education that will be far more imbued with you know that type of wisdom and experiences that are more catered to their natural interests and talents and you know one can only think that once we have a generation of people that were educated and exposed to those ideas and methods of learning and perspectives and and stuff at a young age i mean uh i mean you can't even can't even imagine what the products of that would be but um it's always been something that i've been super interested in and, you know, both critical of the existing state of things, but very excited for, you know, what may lie on the horizon in terms of the possibilities and the options for for people. So, yeah, it's great place to leave it. Um,
1: yeah, I, 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 I intend, you know, people sometimes ask like, what's your goal with um, accumulating Bitcoin? And I'm like, well, I want to homeschool my kids. Right. You know, I want to be free enough with my time that they can be free with theirs.
0: And, do you want to do that just so they're not exposed to the existing options, or if there was someone providing like really excellent non-standard education, would you still not want to avail to that because you want to be more kind of a part of the process yourself?
1: Um, I think both. You know, like I think
0: both a little bit of both. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I you know like obviously I have um there's a lot of value to be gained from you know just like being with your peers. And, and I don't want to sort of like shelter to them to the point that they're weirdos, but I also don't want to expose them to the point that they're NPCs and yeah. you have to find the right, you know, find the right, uh, the optimal grip as Vivek would put it.
0: Totally. Totally. I gotta, I mean, it's like, I think for me, it's one of the most exciting things about hyper-Bitcoinization is the impact on education. I just think we've gone so far in a weird and wrong direction. That's not conducive to, uh, Producing is the wrong word, but, you know, uh, contributing to the, the proper or the optimal development of, you know, an individual, and I think we'll be far better suited and a better place to do that under the Bitcoin standard. And I can't wait to, to see the results and p- potentially participate in it. Uh, Tyler, yeah. this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you making the time. Um,
1: uh, yeah, thank the- you, John. I really enjoyed it. I, I, uh, like I said, I was very nervous about it just cause it's, uh, it's hard to put yourself out there. And I, and so I'm so grateful uh, to you for what you're doing and and for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I think you did a great job. So uh, the nerves didn't come through and yeah, I just, I appreciate you being so open and sharing your perspective on things and your history and your thoughts. And uh, we'll definitely have to do it sometime again in the future.
1: I'd really enjoy that.
0: All right, brother. Take care.
1: All right. See you soon.
0: See ya.